Welcome to Wealthy Behavior, talking money and wealth with Heritage Financial, the podcast that digs into the topics, strategies, and behaviors that help busy and successful people build and protect their personal wealth. I'm your host, Sammy Azuz, the president and CEO of Heritage Financial, a Boston-based wealth management firm working with high net worth families across the country for longer than 25 years. Now let's talk about the wealthy behaviors that are key to a rich life. On this episode of the podcast, we're talking taxes. I'm joined by Ed Jastrom, once again, our chief planning officer here at Heritage Financial. And Ed, I know that you and I, at some point, after people had gotten most of their tax stuff into their uh, tax preparer in April, whether or not they filed or not, but early enough in the year uh, so that they could do something with this advice, we wanted to talk to people about taxes, tax planning, things that we see when we're helping people with their tax planning, when we're reviewing their tax returns after the fact, things that we can get out of that type of review to help people with one of the things they can't stand the most, which is taxes and helping them to figure out ways to minimize their tax obligations strategically versus uh, doing things that sometimes fall in the bucket of cutting off your nose to spite your face or you know saving you on taxes by making you less money. So. As we dive into this, uh, what's important to you in terms of this topic to kind of kick us off? Yeah, thanks for the intro to the topic. And as frustrating or as time consuming or occasionally aggravating as preparing your tax returns or paying your taxes can be, the process can be really rewarding for us as advisors because it gives us a really good record of what's going on, and it gives us a very good baseline to do more advanced planning. And I think that despite us sharing in communications with clients and prospects about the importance of getting a tax return for us to help build a financial plan and to see what's going on, you know, even clients that have been with us for a number of years might not realize the extent to which we use the tax return behind the scenes to help make decisions and to help guide what we're doing. And I thought of three important areas that are kind of big value adds and big important reasons for collecting a tax return, just from my experience and in getting ready for for you and I to, to talk today. The three things that came to mind were that the tax return is just a good ledger of what happened. It's a record of the prior year. It lets us see that what we expected to take place actually did. If there was anything unexpected, it gives us pause to go investigate what happened and why. And it just lets us look at the information that we know and have about a client and make sure that we're all on the same page. So kind of step one in terms of how the tax return could be important, it's just setting the record straight and making sure that our, you know, our baseline assumptions are starting at, at the right point. It's fact checking. I think the second part of why the tax return can be really important and why reviewing it with your advisor can be important is where we start to add value. And that's not just the fact checking or the baseline, but that's looking at opportunities. Is there something that happened strategically in the prior year that we should make sure happens again? Is there something that didn't happen 
that could be beneficial that we need to revisit and implement. You know, where are the strengths and weaknesses? Where are the risks and opportunities? So that, that's kind of part two of the, the tax return review process. And then I'd say part three is a lot bigger picture. It's maybe where traditional tax planning or tax advice starts to um, kind of fall off and where you really need a comprehensive financial advisor to step in. That third part is taking the tax return information that we've kind of confirmed and done our baseline planning with and using it to create those what-if scenarios, those projections, not just for the current year, but for a multi-year horizon. Now, there's things that individuals could do in one tax year that might help them right then and there, but might actually be you know, backtracking in the long term or vice versa. So it's important when we look at income tax planning decisions that we're not just looking at it in the, the window or the framework of the next six months or the next 12 months, but really looking at it over a, a five year, a 10 year, a 20 year time horizon to see how does the whole plan function with the decisions that we're making today? And are we making decisions that aren't just beneficial right now, today, but downstream have the effects that we want to? So those are kind of the three big general themes on why I think this type of review can be important. And I think the, the rest of what you and I wanted to talk about were more kind of specific examples of things that we dig into when we're actually looking at a, a client's tax return. You know, what is more of that kind of review, strategic and long-term planning process look like to us? Yeah, no, that's a great overview. And I thank you for sharing that. And so one of the things that as we were prepping for, you shared with me is sometimes it's just really hard to figure out what tax bracket you're in. So can you touch on that a little bit, why that's important and why it's hard to determine if you're just looking at the tax return yourself? Absolutely. And that that is a concept that is, I think, misunderstood or misinterpreted, even amongst professionals, even amongst wealth advisors, and, and even sometimes amongst tax planners. Our tax code in the U.S., generally speaking, puts income into two really broad buckets. There's what we call kind of ordinary income, which would be your wages, your social security, your pension, IRA distributions, rental income. And then there's another bucket that's qualified income. And qualified income is really dividends from U.S. companies, from U.S. stocks, qualified dividends, and long-term capital gains. And our tax system treats those kind of two broad buckets very differently, but that isn't obvious on your tax return. Because if you just looked at your tax return, all of your income sources get added up into one big sum. You get your deductions, you maybe get some credits, and then you have a tax that's due. And to the casual observer, and really anyone looking at your tax return, you don't see the underlying formulas that your income is actually being extracted 
and kind of put into two very different buckets and washed through two very different text rate structures. So it's sometimes really hard to see if you just look at your taxable income and then look at tax brackets, you might think you're in one bracket, but really you're not depending on the components of your underlying income. It's almost like our tax return should have another column or another page where it's easier to see this calculation going on behind the scenes, but, but you really can't in an easy way. So you need some way to kind of break those items apart. And you know, fortunately we have software that does that for us very easily. And it pulls out some of that mystery that's going on behind the scenes. It makes it really clear to answer the question, what, what bracket am I really in? What tax rate am I really paying? If I earn more in wages, what might those be taxed at? If I earn more from my portfolio in capital gains or dividends, what might that be taxed at? And, and it's not easy to do that. You'd think it's kind of the first and foremost thing that somebody would be able to tell what tax bracket they're in, but it, it's, it's actually harder than you think because of all of that. And when you have that information, why is it helpful? What, is it, what does it help you to do when you kind of understand which tax bracket you're touching versus what your effective tax rate is? Yeah, that's a great question because it's actually something that in practice we deal with quite often in the decisions that we help clients with. So if you think about the kind of scenarios that we might be working with for an existing client or a new client, it's fairly typical that we might be helping someone think about selling some concentrated stock position that they've held for a long time. Maybe it's an employer stock, maybe it's something that they um, you know, have been attached to for years and built up a big position, but now it's a big risk. Maybe someone is selling their home or another property. If you're trying to assess the after-tax proceeds, you know, it, it's kind of that adage of, uh, you know, it's not what you make, it's, it's what you keep. If we're trying to assess those consequences, you have to know what rate is going to be applied to the transaction and different rates are applied to different types of income. So if you were looking at your tax return and you roughly thought that you were in the 32% bracket and you said, um, I'm going to sell some of this employer stock that I've held for a long time, therefore, I'm going to presume that I'm going to owe 32% tax rate on it. That's probably wrong because even if you're in the 32% bracket for your ordinary income, you know, chances are that you're only going to be paying a 15 or a 20% rate on long-term capital gains. So it's it's that type of factual breaking down what's going on, what tax rates are actually going to apply so that if we're helping someone evaluate the costs, not just the tax costs, but maybe the other emotional costs, the timing costs, the you know, retiring early, the selling a home, the changing jobs, you have to know this information correctly in order to really assess what's 
going on. And like I said, as the, at the start of the conversation, it's not immediately obvious what those rates might be. And, and it can get complicated as you layer things on. So we have the ability with our planning tools to add multiple components together. So we can start with last year was a typical year. Okay, let's kind of bring last year to this year. Then let's sell some stock, uh, increase a gift to charity, retire early and start social security. Right? It, you can see how complicated the picture might be as you start to add more components or pull other components out. So it, it's important to put all the pieces together and, and see how it shakes out. Otherwise you just don't know what to expect and we want to do as accurate planning as we can and have as much predictability when there's so many things going on that we don't know what the outcome will be if we can kind of narrow the range of outcomes i think we can all make more informed decisions and ultimately that's you know what we're trying to help our our prospects and our clients do is to make better informed decisions so let's dig into that. If you had the opportunity to sit with every one of our clients and shadow them uh, and people who aren't our clients just throughout the course of the year, what are some things you would want them to do in order to improve their tax situation? What are the, some things that you see a lot that you would want them not to be doing? Um, because when we're reviewing the return after the fact, you know, we've lost the opportunity to fix last year or help out with last year. So if you could shadow them during the course of the year, what are the do's and don'ts that you see after the fact that you'd want to remedy? Yeah, there's a few areas that we come across, I think, more, more often than others, and a few things that come to mind when we're either reviewing a return or thinking about, you know, more proactively what, what should we be looking at in the, the coming years. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is, is someone taking the, the standard deduction or itemizing? And how close are they between one or the other? It, it used to be in years past that the vast majority of our clients and any new prospects that we were meeting with were itemizing their deductions. But tax laws changed pretty dramatically at the end of 2017 and really since then, many, many more individuals and households have not been able to itemize their deductions and have been taking the standard deduction. But a lot of individuals that we come across, especially with, with newer clients, is they don't realize how close they are between the standard deduction and the itemized deduction, and they don't realize the components of their itemized deductions that they might have lost and how you could maybe be more tactical. So one of the things that we see very often is charitable giving methods aren't optimized. Individuals might be giving away cash rather than appreciated securities. And they might be giving money away that they think they're getting a tax break for, but they're actually not or they're not getting as big a break as they thought they were because they haven't changed their strategy since 2017 because no one's looked at it and, and told them otherwise. So that, that's one of the most common areas that we see, I think, is digging into the itemized deductions, what changed in the last few years, and is there anything in your plan in the next few years that you could maybe take more advantage 
of being able to get a bigger itemized deduction than you have been in the past. Hey, Ed, real quick, is that one of the things that's set to sunset in 2025? Or is this staying the course unless somebody proactively changes it in Congress? I'm glad you brought that up because that was the, the next place I might be going is that these big changes that are this kind of titanic shift in how we've had to think about deductions and, and tax planning, if nothing else happens, almost all of those changes roll off at the end of 2025 and will be back to the way it used to be. So individuals who used to itemize that are now taking the standard deduction might be able to itemize again, but it also means keeping an eye on things like uh, deductible medical expenses, your property taxes, your state income taxes, your charitable giving. And then uh, something that a lot of our clients are familiar with is um, items like being able to potentially deduct some or all of your uh, tax prep fees and your investment management fees. Th those deductions have completely been eliminated for the last several years, but would be on schedule to come back at the end of 2025. So this will be a area of our planning that will be uh, evolving and certainly is not static because it is something that will be changing. And when we develop our financial plans for our clients and do those multi-year projections, the projections have the assumptions that that tax law rolls off and goes back to the way it used to be because that's the way the law stands now. So if there's any action in Congress, any differently, or if there's any components of that that get modified by legislation, our software will pick that up so that when we're looking out into a few years in the future, it'll be a better, more accurate presumption of what we should expect. Got it. And so you were going to go to something else before I interrupted you with that question. So please jump back to that. I was curious on that sunset because I know that creates a lot of uh, questions. And it's not just that. There's estate ta tax implications, which we'll get to at some point in a future podcast. So th thanks for taking that detour. Just getting back to kind of the other themes or when we look at a tax return for a new client or an existing client, you know, what are some of the more common or kind of consistent items we're looking at? The what bracket are you in? You know, what rate are you really paying? Are you itemizing or taking the standard deduction? The, the next thing that comes to mind is what we call kind of extra taxes or maybe even hidden taxes. Now, these are a few things in the tax code that um, are not part of the tax brackets. They're kind of their own separate tax planning item. Uh, and the, there's three that come to mind that we see fairly often and you can do some planning around if you have the information and you're working with a client that's engaged in, in the planning process like we, we like to be. The three are the net investment income tax, a Medicare surtax on wages, and then something that's known as IRMA, which is an extra tax slash cost assessed to individuals on Medicare. So let me go back to the first one, uh, net investment income tax. It's sometimes called NIIT. And that is an 
extra tax of 3.8% that can apply to individual tax filers with gross income of 200,000 or more and married tax filers with gross income of 250,000 or more. And it can apply to your income above those amounts or whatever your net investment income is. So interest, dividends, capital gains. So that's something for working individuals, high income individuals, but we also see it in later years for people who aren't working. If there's a large capital gain, or if you have a, for example, think about a large deferred compensation payout or some other item. So the net investment income tax applies to multiple types of income. So it doesn't really matter whether you're pre-retirement, early retirement, or well into retirement, it could still apply. So that's one we watch out for because you might be able to plan around it by timing events certain ways. The next one I mentioned is a Medicare surtax. This one just applies to wages. So it's not a factor for retirees, but if you're working, um, it applies to individual combined wages of 200,000 or if you're married filing jointly above 250,000. It's a relatively low tax. It's 0.9%, so it isn't too material, but it's just something to be aware of that it can start to increase kind of your average tax rate. Um, and it is something that we pay attention to in planning. The, the last one's IRMA. That's the abbreviation. It's income related monthly adjustment amount. I thought IRMA was a hurricane, Ed. It's not a hurricane. No, not this one, but it might right. feel like it to some people. It's basically if you're on Medicare, so if you're 65 and over and on Medicare, the amount that you pay for your Medicare premiums is actually income tied. So the more income you have, the more you pay for Medicare premiums. A, a lot of people don't realize this, especially people who aren't on Medicare yet don't know that there's that relationship. And this one's really tricky because it doesn't actually show up on your tax return anywhere. It's not a tax that you pay when you file your taxes. What happens is that the information from your tax return gets communicated to Social Security and Medicare. And then in a subsequent year, if your income was high enough and triggered one of these adjustments, you would start paying higher premiums for Medicare, which usually means if you're on Social Security and you have your Medicare premiums withheld from your Social Security payment, net-net, the way you would experience it is that kind of all of a sudden, your you know, next month's Social Security payment would be lower and you'd be saying, well, what happened? And it's because of IRMA. If, if you reach these income thresholds, you start to pay more. And there's a few tiers. So it, it phases into a um, gradual increase of uh, something like $30 a month, but gets substantially more costly and it applies per person. So if you're a married couple and you're both on Medicare and you hit one of these higher thresholds, you know it can add 
um, hundreds of dollars per month per person for a full year or more. The good news is if it was from a one-time event, it rolls off. This isn't a permanent change. If you had a one-time high income year, you'd get hit with this. And then in the subsequent year, you file your tax return again, it goes back down, it goes back down. There's a few exceptions to the rule as well related to uh, medical emergencies or, or death in the family where it, you can request to not have this apply if the reason for the income change was one of these exceptions. But otherwise, you're going to be careful. It's a, it's a cliff issue, not a range. So if you go over these ranges by $1, you get tripped into these higher costs. So when we're looking at things like um, capital gain distributions or selling a home or taking a large withdrawal from a retirement account, anyone who's on Medicare, that's something that we pay really close attention to because it can be a nasty surprise that happens later on. And like I said, it isn't obvious on the tax return because it doesn't show up there. It's, that's where the data comes from, but there isn't anything on your return that would alert you to this. It happens after the fact. So it's an area of planning that over the last few years has gained a lot more attention in our field. And I think we're doing a, a good job of, of spotting it and being aware of it. Can't always avoid it, um, but if we can't avoid it, being aware of it is the next best thing. So, you know, fewer surprises down the road. Got it. Thanks, Ed. It turns out, for those who are dying to know, Irma was a hurricane, but it was spelled with an I, and it was in 2017. <laughs> I, I, like I said... You're uh, dying you know, for Matt, me to move on. All right. Uh, well, I, I, I mean, uh, you teed up the, the bad pun for me to say it might feel like a hurricane for some people. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably brought us back down to a place we didn't need. So... Um, I know that you also wanted to touch on some life stage related advice or uh, situational advice, which are, are two different things. Thoughts on maybe life stage related tax advice for folks first. Yeah, there's, there's a few items there that come to mind. And this is connects well with how we get to know our clients very well, how we want to do very detailed, comprehensive planning, how we want to communicate with our clients often and effectively, because there's generalized tax advice. You know, there, there's the internet article, um, you know, pop culture, money magazine, you know, tax, tax planning advice, which is all for the, for the most part, by and large, you know, fair or, or accurate or um, correct in some manner, but it isn't always immediately obvious when that general advice really connects to you. You know, where are you in your stage of accumulating wealth or decumulating wealth, or you still have kids at home or you're entering the, you know, the empty nest phase so I think one of the, the things that is valuable to our clients is our awareness of, of you and, and your life and your goals and your needs and what your tax situation is relative to that, not just kind of the generic all-encompassing, you know, kind of everyday tax planning advice. So we look really closely at those kind of life, life stages or opportunities you know, for someone who's 
working versus someone who's retired or pre-retired. So if you're working, we really dig into employer benefits. You know, what pre-tax employer benefits do you have and are you using them effectively and are you using them the right way? Um, you know, are you making your cash up retirement plan contributions? And not just, you know, did we mention it, but is it really happening? You know, we've seen a lot of cases where somebody thought that they were doing it and told their, um, you know, benefits or HR department that they wanted to. And then we look at a pay stub with a client partway through the year and it, it never took place. You know, there was a miscommunication somewhere, um, you know, somebody didn't follow up. So it's not just us telling our prospective clients and clients what we think they should do, but a lot of times it's it's us doing the the double checking and the fact checking and really ensuring that the things that we have agreed upon are beneficial are really getting executed. In kind of the early retirement years, there's now you know a big window of opportunity for people to delay Social Security benefits not being subject to required distributions yet. And that, that age has been you know, pushed back even further by recent legislation. So if you're not working, you're not collecting social security or you're only collecting partial social security, you're not taking your IRA distributions yet, your income might be a lot lower than it has in prior years. Those could be great opportunities to do Roth conversions. I was actually just looking at a, a new client's case earlier today before we started this recording and we identified a client that's in that exact situation and you know effectively has zero taxable income the the small amount of interest dividends and capital gains they have is completely wiped out by the standard deduction so they're ideal candidate to do some Roth conversions before uh, retirement before social security that's exactly what we're talking about and then you know in retirement it's another set of strategies or another set of opportunities. You know, I already mentioned the, the IRMA, you know, those Medicare um, premiums that could be higher. So we're paying attention to the timing of events or the timing of deductions that might be voluntary. If you're charitably inclined, there's a new opportunity to give to charity once you reach the age of 70 a half that doesn't exist for you before then with your IRA, with qualified charitable distributions. There's a lot of individuals that can't itemize anymore, are still giving some money to charity and are maybe not getting a deduction for it. Once you reach 70 and a half, if you have an IRA, there's another way for you to give to charity very tax efficiently and that's that, that QCD. And then you know, situational things, not necessarily age-based or life stage based is kind of the last piece where having the tax return, being able to look through the tax return with the tools that we have can help us plan for the future. There's filing status change, uh, divorce, the death of a first spouse, moving to a different state, changing jobs. You know, any of those situational changes cause us pause to reflect on what tax planning strategies you're using now and are, are they still relevant? Is there something different? Is there something that needs to change? So that, that combination of you know, progressing through life, but also those maybe sometimes unexpected things 
that that pop up can give us new opportunities or cause us to revisit. And that's all in the name of either you know saving taxes today, or how I how I introed our talk. You know, it might not be something immediate. It might not be this year, but it might be something that's really valuable down the road. And if you don't plan for it now, you just won't be able to take advantage of it later on. All right. Thanks, Ed. And as we wrap this up, I know you wanted to hit on some special situational planning ideas or planning topics for folks that may not apply to everybody, but when they do, they're important. So I want to turn that over to you to kind of take us home with that. Yeah, I think there's a few more situations or circumstances that require extra attention. And they're areas that we look out for you know, the things that come to mind are individuals who are self-employed or individuals who own a, an S-corp or another, another business. Anytime we see that, it means that there's another layer of data for us to analyze and another layer of potential opportunity. Uh, another one that we come across quite often as we meet with new clients is concentrated stock positions. Most often from an employer, it could be from RSUs or stock options or even concentrated stock within a retirement plan. That's another situation where there's kind of unique planning opportunities, uh, unique consequences to consider, and there could often be other rules or administrative structure around it that make those decisions really important. Uh, a third kind of specialty area or an area that warrants attention and skill is investment real estate. We see quite often um, a large number of clients or prospective clients have uh, a second home. And even if it's not a core investment, if it's maybe only rented for part of a year and used for personal use the other part of the year, it still means that there's other elements of tax planning going on. If no one's looked at that in a while, there could be opportunities. It could be something that's just unexplored or worthy of getting it right for down the road decisions. You know, are you leaving the property to family? Are you selling it down the road? What might the capital gain be? Are you depreciating it still? All, all those aspects that go into you know, the real estate planning realm um, come to our attention and, and come up in conversations quite often. And then another one that we're seeing more often with existing clients and part of our planning for you know, family wealth transfers are inherited IRAs. Uh, they present kind of unique planning rules, especially if you inherit an IRA from a non-spouse. There's a, a new rule in effect recently that instead of being able to spread out distributions from those inherited IRAs over your lifetime, you may need to deplete it within 10 years. So for anyone who inherits a large IRA, having to withdraw the sum in a 10-year span versus your lifetime could really alter the tax planning situation. And there's a lot of strategy that we can incorporate with a client over that 10-year timeframe to try to make the best of it and keep the most wealth you know, within the family um, and have the, the least go to taxes. Those are all areas that we're spending extra time and we're seeing, I think, more often with the, the clients that we're working with and the issues that people are bringing to the table that they want our professional guidance with. 
Great, Ed. Thanks again. I think, as always, our conversations on the planning front are very informative and hopefully quite helpful for our clients and listeners as we walk through taxes, which which can be a, a massive topic. You've done a great job of focusing in on certain things that I think people can digest and, and take away and utilize for a, a strong, longer-term framework of understanding taxes. Any key takeaways or final points that you want to share with our listeners? There is one that that's actually kind of unrelated to the tax planning side of things, but but equally important. And that's whenever we're looking at a specific topic area and applying our skills and experience as advisors, whether it's income taxes or estate taxes or insurance planning, but I, I think it's most applicable with income tax planning. We want to make sure and have good conversation with our conversations with our clients so that they're making informed decisions. But we also want people to know that it isn't just the tax facts that determine the course of action that we take, right? There's behavioral issues to consider. There's personal preference. There's liquidity. There's how much risk are you able to take and how much risk are you comfortable taking? So there's all those other opportunity cost factors or comfort level factors. So we'll provide all of the education, all of the analysis, all of the data crunching that we need to to present prospects and clients with the ability to make good informed decisions. But there are instances where we might all agree to do something that maybe doesn't maximize tax planning perfectly. And that's okay if it fits in with your other goals and objectives and wants. And, and that's the kind of outlier takeaway that I wanted to end on is that all of this is part of a bigger comprehensive plan. It's a part of just a bigger conversation and helping our clients meet their goals. And we'll do our best to maximize returns, to lower taxes, to decrease risk when we can. But it's all part of that big picture. And this is just one component of making it work for our clients. And it's an extremely important component because at the end of the day, keeping more of what you earn is going to allow your capital to grow and compound in the future. So it's an ongoing conversation. It's an ongoing conversation with your advisor, with your advisory team. You want an advisor who's connected to your tax planner, your tax preparer. You want to stay in touch with them during the course of the year. You want to build a long-term plan as you've shared. Uh, it's, It's constantly evolving and moving. Tax laws are always changing. And I'm sure this is a topic we're going to touch on in many different ways in future episodes of Wealthy Behavior. So thank you for kickstarting it with us today, Ed. How to Build Your Next Million, Heritage Financial's newly released ebook teaches investors about the tools and strategies that can help them save, keep, grow, and protect their assets. This free ebook can be accessed in this episode's show notes and on our website at heritagefinancial.net. Today is a great day to learn how to build your next million. Thank you for listening to Wealthy Behavior. If you found the conversation useful, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode so those around you can live a rich life too. We appreciate your feedback and questions. 
please email us at wealthybehavior@heritagefinancial.net. For more insights, subscribe to our weekly blog at heritagefinancial.net and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Check out my personal finance blog at thebostonadvisor.com. Wealthy Behavior is produced by Kristen Kastner and Michelle Kakinis. This educational podcast is brought to you by Heritage Financial Services, LLC, located in the greater Boston area. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast or that of the speaker are subject to change and do not constitute investment advice or a recommendation regarding any specific product or security. There is no guarantee that any investment or strategy discussed will be successful or will achieve any particular level of results. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal.